Hello, welcome to Autistic Counter Stories. In this podcast, we celebrate and affirm the diverse perspectives of autistic people, informed by research developments and lived experiences. We don't aim to represent every experience in this series. We also don't want to tell stories that try to explain away differences or lump together people's diverse experiences. Rather, we want to present you with a selection of counter stories to dispel myths and counter oppressive narratives and honor the diversity of autistic lives. One more thing. In this podcast, you'll hear very little from our show's producers. We'd like you to experience these stories in people's own words, writing, and music so that their experience stands alone and reflects the wonderful variety of neurodivergence. Today, you'll hear from transgender, non-binary, and queer autistic people. The writer of the words you're hearing now, read on their behalf by a dear friend, is autistic and non-binary. And to be honest, they find it hard to separate the two. They're entwined in a tight embrace. Pulling them apart is like trying to handpick seeds out of a pot of jam. Here's an example. They have a shirt that they have a complicated relationship with. When they feel uncomfortable wearing it, is it because they feel their body doesn't look right? and the material sits wrong on their chest? Or is it because its label scratches on their neck and the sleeves fall at a bothersome length? In this episode, you'll meet Terra, Sim, and Misa, who reflect on the connection between gender, queerness, and their autistic identities, and the concept of difference. You'll also hear from Louis, assistant producer of the podcast, who reflects on his own autistic experiences growing up. Hello Tara, hello Sim, I am Louie, I go by he, him, his, and I'm sort of the episode lead on this on this podcast. While I don't have that much knowledge on autism research, um, I do have a personal link to the project, being autistic myself. It's been great hearing the stories from people so far and relating that to my own experience. Nice, thank you. Nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. I think maybe people still have the feeling that being autistic is something you you just can't help. You're born right. like that. or And being non-binary is still like a choice or deliberately being political <laughs> or being disobedient or something like that. I think mm. people see it more as a choice. The two identities feel very connected. Like it doesn't necessarily feel like two separate identities. It feels like one very much influences the other. There are quite some theories, I think, about like people who experience their gender identity as influenced by their autistic traits, which I don't feel is necessarily true for me. But I do feel that like weird brain, quote unquote, and weird in relationships and weird in gender sort of all go in the same place for me. Like it feels very logical in a way that it would be sort of one identity the the thing i experience the most in my life where i feel there is a big overlap is having difficulties with social interaction and social anxiety and picking up on on cues by society of what you have to do and after my gender transition i have a feeling that autism really interferes with 
understanding all the gendered social expectations and it it's not it's not very it's not going smoothly and that's good i think it's good that you that, that it's difficult to to yeah fit in into a gendered yeah in a gendered society when you're trans and you pass as a certain gender even if i'm non-binary there are all kinds of expectations and life gets so complex and it takes so much brain power to always counter these narratives to always be the strange one or to be the one that they don't pick in a job interview because you're just a bit too strange or it's just something they feel that you don't fit in even if you do everything well so even if i don't really want to have very socially accepted behavior i even can't mask it i can pretend and sometimes socially i feel it's a disadvantage or it's a bit too much layers of being different and not understanding the the rules even if i wanted to i want to ask you a question and i'm not sure if i'm allowed to ask questions okay <laughs> yes i am um i'm wondering do you also experience what i experience which is like somehow the rules did get into your head and you find yourself like i very often especially in my work for example find myself pretending to be a neurotypical cis woman which none of those things i am but it sort of happens automatically and in a way it almost takes more work to stay myself than to do the very illogical entirely nonsensical thing even though then afterwards i'm exhausted from doing the very illogical nonsensical thing and i'm wondering if that's something that you experience it's definitely something i'm struggling with sometimes i feel that i'm doing things that i don't want to do but just to fit in the script and to be accepted and then i feel very bad about myself it comes automatically you you it's also a question of being safe and being able to make money and to just survive you have to yeah it's something you have to do mm-hmm. yeah but no sometimes i experience it as as a thing that i can try but never really mm-hmm. a thing or right. even if i think that i'm doing it really well then suddenly i have the feeling that it's not really working or that you're like i i'm i'm so playing the cis neurotypical dude right now everyone believes me and then it turns out yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can definitely relate to like picking and choosing depending on the context which part of your identity you're going to lead with like am i going to tell these people i'm non-binary first or am i going to tell them i'm autistic first i very often worry about being medicalized maybe people still sort of assume you know that like you must have mental health issues if you're trans i'm autistic like there's a lot of nomers for me that are very easy to pathologize i think which is something i often worry about so i feel like you can't win but i do understand i think i do also most of the time disclose the autism first but not necessarily because i feel comfortable but because i know that i have legal rights to certain supports for example in the work
workplace or in school places. And I want those. So I'm like, okay, so this is close so I can get the support that I need. And then sometimes it does feel like, well, now they already think I'm a bit off. So what, what harm could it do if I add one more uncomfortable demographic? Like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Hey Meister, I am... I'm Louis. Okay. It's hard for me sometimes to... to... to talk into words better in writing, but anything of cultural norms, basically, what gender is, how you have to form a relationship, how you have to do li life, in a sense, it's... an autistic person is less inclined to to naturally integrate them and like we can try to copy them but it's never something that comes without thinking about it so somehow it's like the step to embracing also queer identity or other forms of being divergent is less big than when you are still inside the norm you're not an outcast yet so this step to taking it is is bigger but when you're already an outcast so you you're gonna accept that more or quicker because you're already being seen as very different you're already an outcast a misfit in society when you grow up autistic the more you are multiplying misfit the more you will feel this lonely and lost feeling and the harder it is also to get support both from community from government as well because it's it's more complicated when there are multiple levels of being a minority multiple levels where you actually need extra support extra accommodations but it's more complicated than just one thing I'm, I'm pretty sure it gives a lot more, well, from my personal experience, but definitely for others, a lot more loneliness, which is hard to explain to others how it is. It's a lot more desperation in life as well, because you never get that understanding of your own life experience. Being autistic is becoming more and more hard. I think it becomes more obvious when you're an autistic person in society today, but you're just different than others, but also just you. And it's, you have a different brain blueprint. Autism and queerness isn't very productive. I often experience autism as something that in a very like professional setting where things have to be done, then autism gets in the way because I'm always a little bit off the rhythm or a little bit slower or, or I do things wrong. Mm -hmm. I think neurodivergence will never be accepted in, in a capitalistic production focused society because it's antithetical. Neither will queerness, right? Yeah, it's also antithetical. Yeah, it's too it's too wild, I think, or it's mm -hmm. it's you can put it into rules and then and then everything goes to hell. So 
that's why queerness isn't accepted in, in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And sometimes yeah. it really feels like being like playing an actor, being silenced or like having to s suppress a lot of, of uh, yourself. There is this, it sounds like a side tour, but it's it's connected. There is this drug that in America they give to children even, like eight-year-old autistic children, to make them more manageable. I was in psychiatry for a couple of months after I got my diagnosis. They gave it to me for like a month or month and a half, and it completely... It numbed everything. I, it numbed the bad things, but also the good things. I just, I never want to go back to that. Let me experience my pain with the lights or with everything, but I want to feel, I want to feel myself and be myself and have my autistic joy and autistic pain and everything of it. And I think the drug definitely makes me more, manageable to others but I don't care about being manageable to others I care about feeling okay within myself feeling connected with myself and finding accommodations to handle the light and the noises like there are noise cancelling headsets there are sunglasses there are lots of things and I can also handle how much I will deal with in a day I need tools and I need support to function in those things. I don't need a drug to tone me down because I'm too much. I really resonate with what you're saying. Like, ever since I first got diagnosed when I was six, I, 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 I remember just <laughs> one, just wondering it just out of the blue, like, I wonder if I could have a day where I just woke up and I didn't have it and I could just see what it was like for a day just to be neurotypical and just not have it. I wonder, and I, I've always wondered how it would change me to so that, so to hear that from you, it, like, I guess that is how it would work, like, like, taking the good times as well as the bad times and I personally wouldn't want to give any of it up at, at all I, I've i always said that autism is just like it's just another way of being human, it's not like we're less, it's not like we're any, any more it's just we're slightly different and we're all slightly different within autism as well like it's not a one a one thing that we all have that we all affects us the completely the same like it was previously thought it's all different and i really think that more people need to know that that the condition is just as complicated as the actual autistic people i mean if you would be without your autism you would be far from being you the full blueprint of your brain is different but it's your full brain, it's your full body. It's not something you can just change and still be you or something. It's not something you would, you need to see of like, 
what if I would heal from it? Yeah, I was just thinking about that today. I don't spend enough time with the people where I can be all of my all of my identities at once. I just wanted to draw up on that and ask, do you think there's anything that can be done that people who are maybe listening to this wanting to try and understand and accommodate new queer people, do you think there's anything that can be that can be done to further the the ideas and comfortability of neuroqueer people. When you want to be accepting in one area, like for neuroqueer people, you have to do the work of being accepting in all the different kinds of discriminations people live with. When you want to welcome one group of people, it means that you have to do it in every kind of area. So I think that would be the best strategy to learn about how all these things interact and to, but specifically for non-binary, trans, queer people, I think it's actually very easy just make pronouns a part of, like put it in your email, make it a part of the conversation. And when you do it, also be accommodating. Don't just say it and then don't do anything with it. So it's in small things that you can be very welcoming already. I don't want to give the impression that it's extremely complicated to be welcoming to. And when it comes to queerness, I think really like bullying in workplaces is a very big problem. So having like an explicit procedure to deal with discrimination and I think all these structures have to be very clear and very outspoken and verbally stated. I think like just on a very interpersonal level, just between individual people, so, so much can be done just by checking your assumptions and then like either verbalizing if you've made an assumption, be like, oh, sorry, I might have just assumed that or making like trying not to go with your assumption or your bias yes i think also creating an environment where it's okay to fail or because people have difficulties with doing something wrong so they won't start even in the first place i think also being open to failing and to being like imperfect is all part of the neurodivergent, trans, queer, LGBTQIA plus experience, because it's always about not fitting in, about failing, about not knowing how. And um, I think if, if that, I don't know, imperfectness was accepted, that people would have less trouble with like remembering someone's pronouns, for example. I think a lot of neurotypical people would also definitely wonder how it is to have an autistic blueprint. I think the beauty of it is always to just be happy and proud of your unique brain, your unique life experience. And 
everything about it and just accept the struggles that you also encounter in the society and just find the accommodations you need to make it happen to make to make while you're while you're talking there it reminded me when i was like 10 years old the school uh asked me as a 10 year old boy with autism to stand in front of the class and do a presentation about autism <laughs> they wanted to make to make a whole presentation about autism and talk about it with the kids <laughs> and I, I yeah they, they they asked me to do that and i was i was supervised doing it it was very basic it was what i put in that presentation was a lot of talking points and a lot of stuff that was I heard from meetings and stuff around me just putting down symptoms that not less not that I didn't necessarily have, just I just heard that autistic people have. It was kind of just like a few short slides about what like medical symptoms and there was more about that, less about me because I just didn't have that much of a grasp about my own autism. I knew even less about how to talk about it and how to speak about it. So of course, it's harder to fully understand your, your your autism as much as you can. Like I'm still learning about it now, as I as I get older and everything. But uh, I think the main issue is just information and getting information out there and more people knowing about the nuances that autism has and the, how complex it is. I don't usually talk about my own experience with people just because I'm not that comfortable talking about my autism in general. And it's something I'm working on by doing projects like this and other, other things. Actually, you know how you always tell me I'm a little bit like Mary Poppins? My brain feels a little bit like Mary Poppins's bag. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there you wouldn't say so if you looked at me. But, like, there's a ton. Like, it goes very deep. But if you need something specific, you're going to have to wait. <laughs> because I don't know when it will come out of the bag. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's so much stuff. It's really fun. That's so true. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Autistic Counter Stories. This three-part podcast series is commissioned by the Autism Ethics Network at the University of Antwerp with funds from Research Foundation Flanders. Elena Dikamitis is creative lead and executive producer of the series. Dieter de Klerk is co-producer, academic liaison and lead editor. Louis Dunlop Marriott is assistant producer. The podcast music was composed by Bram Vahaga from Studio Dunok. The voiceover was written by my dear friend M and read by me, Ada Rose. Researchers from the Autism Ethics Network have offered invaluable guidance on the concept of autistic counter stories. Finally, a special word of thanks goes to the people who let us into their lives and allowed us to share their stories with you. Thank you, Tara, Sim, Misa, and Louis. We want Autistic Counter Stories to reach as many people as possible. If you want to support us, please share this podcast with others, post about it on social media, or leave a review. 
If you have any questions or feedback, please send us an email. Contact details and a full list of people we wish to thank are included in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you.